0: Well, Ben, this was a wild one in the end. A tough one to digest because, especially because the Jays managed to rally late. Vladdy Jr. manages to hit the RBI single. It scores Springer. Bo blows through the stop sign from third, gets thrown out at home to end the game. That's obviously going to be the main talking point in this one. And we'll get to the offense. We'll get to Yusei Kikuchi certainly as well. I, I don't know about you. I hesitate to blame Bo directly too too much I mean certainly he shoulders some of it but the stop sign from Luis Rivera the third base coach was not a particularly emphatic one it was also a very late one and I think that's kind of what contributed to Bo's thought to power down at third the late sign thrown out by Rivera okay ultimately it's a split second decision that does not work out for Bo, but like him seeing him power down at third only for him to see the late sign and then on the replay you actually see george springer waving him home as he crossed the plate as well so i don't know it's a split second decision i i find it hard to put too much uh, of the blame of the onus of it on on bow but it is a it is a tough way for this one to end especially after it looked like Vlady had finally delivered in a pretty big moment too
1: Yeah, I I just went back on uh, research, the the main stats client that a lot of Major League Baseball uses, and went to the wide view so I could really watch it. And up to even the point where Bo Bichette puts his foot on third, Luis Rivera's waving him. Like, he starts with a wave, and then he throws up a stop sign after he's rounded third. And, you know, if if he doesn't throw, Bo hesitates, so he's thrown out by 10 feet. If he doesn't hesitate, he's thrown out by 5 feet. I think the wave in general was really ambitious. Vladdy tattooed that ball. They're playing pretty close in, and Alex Verdugo has 95th percentile arm strength. Like, I know you want to push the envelope to a certain extent. You don't know you're going to come up with another hit. If they throw the stop sign up, you know the, the laws of Matt Chapman being a 260-something hitter would say it's more than likely that the Red Sox still get the out and end the game. But that, to me, felt like a clear stop like not even a, a debatable play if you isolate it from the moment that it was in where you really just want to push the envelope. And, yeah, I, 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 you know, Bo Bo should know that once you hesitate, you may as well go back, I think. But there was a lot of confusing communication, I think, for him coming from second, rounding third with third-base coach Luis Rivera.
0: Yeah, and like I said, too, on the Sportsnet replay on the telecast, you look at the, re- the slow-mo replay after Springer crosses – he immediately throws up the hands and is waving him and then throwing the hands kind of down towards the dirt you indicating the slide right so it it, it it probably doesn't help that Bo got probably some conflicting decision making from or some instructions conflicting instructions from a number of different places and then also had to choose which of those things to do himself it's just i I, I find it really really tough because it felt it it feels like we've been waiting Ben for. I mean, you and know, I have had this discussion before in terms of like signature moments for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it kind of looked like maybe we had gotten one. I mean, not not because you're going to improve your record if you win to one in five against the Red Sox instead of zero and six, but because it's on Canada Day in front of a, a jacked up crowd and people are really excited. And then for it to end that way, I actually did legitimately think there was a chance that the call was going to be overturned. Not because he's obviously thrown out, but just because we have no idea where yeah, we, yeah. we have no idea what the whole blocking the plate thing is. It, 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 can be called one way one day and another day another way another day so i don't know it's that's a really tough way for this one to end because i finally thought we were we were going to stop talking about maybe like three different things and unfortunately the discussion about about uh, the offense continues, the discussion, or at least certainly at the beginning of games continues. The discussion about, you say, Kikuchi to a certain extent opens back up, right? It's just, it's a tough one after a 7 6 loss.
1: Yeah, and you know, you hit on the offense. I think it's almost doubly frustrating that, I mean, at least personally, it's hard for me to come in here and, and really blame the offense for much. Obviously, the game ends with someone being hosed out at the plate. They hit three home runs today, they scored six runs on 10 hits. Was it, you know, a complete huge like banner day for the offense no but if you score six runs and hit three homers you're probably going to win more games doing that than you're not going to unfortunately for the Blue Jays after getting a handful of really quality performances from Yusei Kikuchi they got one of his worst of the season today and it put them in a tough spot and then you know a, a lot of little things that may not have seemed like they mattered in the moment or mattered as much as they would end up mattering in the moment really end up you know, deciding this game because the Blue Jays claw back and managed to only lose by one run. I mean, even the difference of, you know, when it's second and third and Bo's on, Bo's on second, George's on third with one out. Let's say Brandon Bell hits a fly ball. That would have scored one run at the time, but maybe Bo's on third base when Vlad hits that single if that happens. Or even a ground ball could have caused that in that game. And that's not to say the whole game is on that one Brandon Bell plate appearance. It's far from that. But there were, you know, a couple different spots – in a lot of different phases of the game where the blue jays could have prevented a run from being scored or scored another run themselves and they didn't and it it really cost them today in in a really tough game here on canada day i was i was just looking
0: it up it's not as though alex verdugo by the way has has been a red Sox for like an insignificant period of time it has been, been a been it's a smokey a cr- right it was smokey right? yeah. yeah so what 2020 i want to say right it's, it hasn't been it's not as though he he was only Going to Boston like last year or earlier this year. Well, I only say that is because you would think at this point the Blue Jays know the statistics you threw out with Verdugo throwing in from right. He's one of the he's one of the elite defensive outfielders in right field, basically. So it's just it's kind of it was a little bit of a baffling decision to see again, and I think that's probably what tips the scales. In favor of, you know, maybe some of the blame following falling a little bit more on Bo than than perhaps anyone else, but it is unfortunately a, uh, a disappointing way for this one to end. Of course, welcome to Jay's Talk. That's Ben Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Uh, we're on the Sportsnet Radio Network, streaming live on Sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet. App. We're taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open. 416-870-0590. 666 590 Star 590 on your cellular device. Five ninety five ninety is the people's text line. That is where you can text us. Uh, name and location, please. It is always open. Of course, happy Canada Day. I, I do wish we had a more uh, uh, positive Jace talk <laughs> for us to celebrate with. We'll have to hope for a win tomorrow to salvage the series, but it is a 7-6 loss. To the Red Sox, the sixth straight loss to Boston. Jays now, unfortunately, seven and nineteen against the American League East. But let's go to the phones again 416-870-0590, 888 A 590 star five ninety on your cellular device, just to get the numbers out there one more time. Mark in Toronto. Mark, I'm told you're leaving the ball game. How's it going today? What's uh, what's on your mind?
2: Oh, I just wanted to say uh, you guys do a great job. I look forward to you guys on the weekend and. Uh... Band. I'm looking forward to when you're the uh, the voice of the Jays in the in the future sometime. Um, just, uh, I guess, the, the Kevin Biggio thing. I mean, he's up there in two spots. Yes, he hits the foul ball that would have uh, made a splash. But, again, Whit on the bench. Uh, why why not go to him?
0: Hey, Mark, I appreciate the call. Thanks for joining us here on Jays Talk. It's a good question. There are a lot of people asking this question in terms of why did Biggio see Time at the plate, especially late in this ball game, instead of Whit Merrifield, I was a little surprised. And I, I the only answer I can think of is that Kevin Biggio has earned some more trust in, in John Schneider's eyes. But because it is true, the splits would favor another player in that particular situation against small people. Kenley Jansen, who got hit a little bit, he got he gave up some contact. That's definitely a good question by Mark and a lot of the textures because, you know, he didn't get it done I, again if if. if The ball that Biggio hits is maybe a foot to the left. Maybe we're having a different conversation, but that's not what happened, and uh, he he does not cash in the runs, Ben.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fairly valid point. I went quickly just to look at Kenley Jansen's left-right splits, and – they're fairly even it's not like uh, left-handed hitters hit him that much harder than right-handed hitters Whit Merrifield doesn't have much of a history against Kenley Jansen so it's not like you would have looked at those numbers and said hey okay maybe uh, Jansen has owned Merrifield or something like that in their time the The only thing I do wonder is you coming into this season I don't know that I expected Wit to play as often as he is playing right now I mean he has outright been you know Pretty much an everyday player for this Blue Jays team because he's earned it. He's played very well. But I do wonder if they're fairly protective of his off days at this point because of the fact he's not the youngest guy and he's played 75 games of the Blue Jays now, you know, 83, 84 uh, games that they've played so far. He's 34 years old and maybe they want to maintain it. Now, again, I could see you easily saying back to that. It's one plate appearance, and that is very you know valid as well. But I I, I agree with you. I think it's a valid question there from the textures. I think it's one of a couple decisions made by the Blue Jays today that you know could have impacted uh, one run here or there. Mm-hmm. I will say at the same time, and Mark did even mention it. Kevin Biggio missed a go ahead double at that point by about three feet. It was it was really close, but. Yeah, there is there is a point to be made there that, hey, you know, Merrifield, one of the best contact hitters on the roster, and you just needed a single there, why not get him involved?
0: Yeah, I see a text here from Mike in Victoria on the People's Text Line, five ninety five ninety. He says, hey, show was Merrifield injured? Wondering why he didn't pinch hit for Biggio in the eighth. If Lefty-righty thing, Merrifield hits righties better than Biggio. Uh, batting average right. almost 100 points higher. More importantly, how do we have a DH with only four home runs and striking out at 46% batting third? So, Mike and Victoria getting to a couple points there.
1: I think another thing, too, you know, they ended up taking Danny Jansen out of the game. You could have kind of—it's not a true double switch. That's really when you sub for the pitcher. But they put Ernie Clement in for Danny Jansen. You also could have just pinch-hit Alejandro Kirk for Cavan Biggio. And then Clement goes to second base, even yeah. though he takes over for Jansen. And Kirk, who ended up defensive replacing anyway— goes there so i do think uh you know there were a couple of different ways they could do it i imagine what you said the confidence in biggio recently with the fact that he's been hitting well i i would guess that that tipped some scales in his I favor think that's, there i
0: genuinely think that's what it is because i i would agree with the callers and texters that the the statistics would back having whit merrifield who has done a very very good job of just getting on base and at that point it would have scored at least one run right if, if merrifield even had just hit a weak single that got him on got him on so if that's the case, then I, I gotta think it, it is simply the fact that Biggio had shown that he was he was capable of getting. I mean, you and I talked about this on J Stock Plus earlier in the week, right? And the simple, simple idea of has Kevin Biggio earned more playing time? And John Schneider clearly thinks he has. That's 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 how I read not subbing out bgo for someone else whether it's merrifield or whomever
1: yeah and i think we both kind of agree that at least he's earned more leeway now is that to the point of this plate appearance i think that's more up for debate but you know he has hit for more than a month now you go back to may 23rd 274 over that stretch 912 ops no doubt if you look at the numbers merrifield versus right-handed pitching and Biggio I mean Merrifield has hit everything better than Kevin Biggio it doesn't matter in that sense I was more thinking about what Kenley Jansen has pitched better to or worse to but yeah it's it it's one spot I think definitely where you could have seen something different at the same time you know if Eric Swanson doesn't give up a home run or if the Blue Jays don't have awkward communication at third it's tough and again like Mark said Biggio you know catches a 3-2 pitch that would have given the Blue Jays a lead but it just lance foul
0: or maybe you know they had three hits going into the seventh inning maybe have more than three hits that's true maybe (laughs) two two of those three hits were from george springer including of the leadoff home run yeah so that's i think that also and yes they finished the game with 10 hits they did
1: they had a solid offensive day but you're right they do need to get started earlier
0: yeah like they it's it's again i'm not i've said this before about a lot of different pitchers but it's just that when you look at The the Kyle Bradishes of the world and the Dean Kramers. I'm just picking on them because the Blue Jays had some struggles against them when they were in Baltimore. But today, Cutter Crawford and Josh Winkowski, they're fine. They're fine pitchers, but I don't know if they're like world beaters necessarily. Cutter Crawford in particular has... It almost feels like he's a different pitcher than he was last year. For because last year I felt he got hit pretty hard, and I mean, for a guy who whose name is Cutter, he used the cutter pretty effectively. All things considered, he never but had a choice. He had to he, have a cutter. He had to. Yeah, he pretty much had to. Uh, but he was he he pitched very efficiently today. Even after getting hit by the pitch that ended one of the innings, he came back out and was still okay. But it's still these are the kinds of pitchers that I think the Blue Jays offense needs to be taking advantage of at least more consistently. Like it just, it just doesn't happen consistently enough. And, again, for them to get back into the game late in the ballgame is great. Great to see Matt Chapman have a decent day as well. Uh, we can talk about that a little he bit more later on. That. But uh, it's it's just something you want to see more of. Early on, more consistently, and I just feel like we haven't always seen that. Um, let's go back to the phones four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety star five ninety on your cell. Billy joining us from Markham. Billy, uh, where where do you fall on uh, Bo's decision to run at, uh, from third base there?
2: Well, uh, let, let me get to the, uh, the to that point second, but sure. um, I, I Yeah, the, the first part I wanted to get to was. You know, and I, and I know I kind of ripped on Va- Vladdy the last time I called. But Vladdy, do you see what happens when you take the walk and you don't try to do everything? You, you, you know, we are out of this game. Vladdy takes a walk. Chapman goes deep. This is what Vladdy has got to do more of. And then that base hit in the in the ninth. What a great piece of hitting, Vladdy. I don't know why you can't do more of this. I, I, I really don't. Uh, the, the walks set everything up. You, you don't have to, if they're not going to pitch to, you're a guy that should have 120 to 150 walks a year. Check how many walks he had last year. If you guys want to just see how he gets himself out. I hope Vladdy can stay this way. I hope he can, uh, you know, not try to hit a home run every time he comes up. And I think it's going it's to improve him um, uh, so much so much better to, to be the playwright. We all think he can be. As for the play at the plate, guys, I see it totally differently. And I've replayed it on my television about fifteen times since I, I came on the air here. And I remember saying, watching like watching the full screen, and I was saying, Bo, you gotta get a better lead at second. I said, You gotta get off second base because I thought Bo was too close to second. Okay, fine. Bo Bo's probably moving on the pitch, Vladdy hits it, blow Bo comes around third. I put all the blame on Bo Bachet. Absolutely all of it. If you watch it again, and I'm looking at it again here on mine, he is given the stop sign two steps, two steps around second base. I mean, around third base. Bo has got to stop there. Uh, No question about it. I'm not going to blame our third base coach. He's supposed to wave him, wave him, wave him, see where the throw is coming. The throw looked like it was great. He put his hand up, and Bo went right through it. And I'm not going to blame, I'm not going to blame our third-base coach. I'm really not. Bo's got to know the situation. He's got to know the arm in right field. And, and Bo got thrown out by 40 feet. I mean, it's an embarrassing way to lose. But you know what, guys? I'm going to take positives out of this game. Uh, I, I love Vladdy's approach. He is the guy that's going to get us, well, we all think, to the World Series, if he can maintain this stuff. Uh, it was almost a great comeback on Canada's day. I'm not going to rail on anybody. Tomorrow's another day. Let's go get him tomorrow. That's it, guys. That's all I got.
0: Hey, thanks, Billy. Thanks for joining us on Jay's Talk. Hey, so a, a surprisingly a measured take on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from Billy. I pre- I appreciate it, Billy. I like it. But uh, yeah, we don't the the bow thing. I I just. I, I think because you get, you, take, you get so much good from Bo, I think is a largely why I hesitate to, to dump on the guy. But it's true. You look at the replay multiple times. I don't know. You see a couple texts here. Like this one's from Paul in Burlington. You learn in Little League to listen to the base coaches so much for doing the little things. I see one here from Brian and Scarborough. It doesn't matter this signal. Once you power down with two out, stay on base. And I think that, so. I, and I can kind of get behind that. Like if, if Bo's decision was to power down. For him to change his mind late, when the throw was already coming in, from of all people, Alex Verdugo is probably what what doomed him from the from the outset. There,
1: I I do agree that once he hesitates, he may as well stop, stop. at yes, that point. Yes. I, I somewhat disagree with the sentiment that stopping a guy after he's already rounded third and you've already been waving him is setting him up for success. I'm not putting it entirely on either of the people <laughs> involved in that play, but you know it is what it is. I I think. In little league, you're not running nearly as fast as Bo running, to be fair, and the decisions come a little bit quicker. Nor was I or anyone else, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's one of a couple things that happened there that that really hurt them. I do absolutely agree. At a certain point, if if you're going to hesitate, like kind of like if you're a defenseman in hockey and you go to pinch, once you hesitate, you're done. Like just start skating back. There's no point in yeah, doing something. Yeah. And if you're going to hesitate, even for a second. Just turn around and dive back to the bag at that point. Uh, I do like, you know, the, the thoughts about Vladdy's approach. I feel like we saw it even adjust in the middle of the game today. In his first couple plate appearances, there were a couple times where he just took multiple huge home run hacks in a row, like fall out of the batter's box, twirl around home run hacks. And then as the game got tight and it was a little bit later, he really started to rein it in. So I I do agree with Billy there. You know, there's definitely something, I think, to build on here for Vladdy as he continues to to look a little bit more like himself. You know, had a better series probably against, you know, Oakland and the start of San Francisco than the last couple games. But I think that there's definitely some positive signs you can take from Guerrero and some of the other offense in this game that the Blue Jays, you know, hope they can pair with some solid pitching tomorrow.
0: I see a lot of texts here about ben, about Brandon Belt, and his uh, lack of lack of results, perhaps as of late. Especially at the very least, compared to when he was much hotter, about what? About a month ago, maybe about three to four weeks ago, give or take. Especially when they're on that uh, relatively long road trip. I see a text here from Mark in Thorold. Uh, Mark is not not happy, uh, Ben. Let me read you the text here. He says, uh, "I'd rather have a well." He, kind of dumps on a lot of people here. <laughs> I'd rather have an, an average outfielder than Varsho who can't hit at all. The Blue Jays need contact hitters. Belt number 3 hitter, 18 RBI. That's absolutely brutal. Kawasaki, who played second base here a few years ago, would add 18 RBI for now for sure. I don't care how many times he walks, he strikes out just as much. He should be DFA'd tomorrow. So that's on that's Mark from Thorold on Brandon Belt. I mean, that's not happening. That's just not going to well,
1: happen. And Munenori Kawasaki uh, who is one of my favorite players of all time? Once in his entire career, had more than 18 <laughs> RBIs over an entire season. For what that's worth, I, I
0: see. I see another text here, a more uh, a more reasoned text from Massey. It's, it's 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 simply, hey guys, just left the ball game. I feel Brandon Belt should not be batting third over Vladimir or Matt Chapman right now when he had four Ks. Can't hit well right now. Again, I don't entirely disagree with it. I mean, you kind of you yeah. kind of have to shuffle the batting order when guys struggle. The margin for error for these Blue Jays is so thin. It's so thin right now. And if and I mean as as Billy mentioned, Vladdy has been looking much better with the approach as of late, not not swinging on too many breaking balls, certainly not to the degree we had seen to start the year at the very least so seeing better results from vladdy i do kind of wonder if maybe you move belt down a teensy bit and move vladdy up moving matt chapman up chapman hitting another home run today
1: yeah i i would definitely at this point at least consider it i mean when you moved belt up and Guerrero and Chapman down, the situation was that Belt was one of the hotter hitters in the league and Chapman was one of the colder hitters in all of baseball and, and Vladdy was yeah. definitely really cold, at least by his standards. It it does seem now like those scales have tipped back a little bit more to where, you know, you probably think they should be, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Matt Chapman on their best days at this point in their career are probably better hitters than Brandon Belt at this point in his career on his best day. Now, they're not putting him at seven. Like, they're going to keep a lefty in the mix. And I do think they like – they were trying to get more left-handed. I do think they like the idea of a left-handed hitter in the top three. But they don't really have a guy right now batting from that side that – has vied to take over the spot for Belt. I, I could see it, you know, whether it's, you know, Guerrero up to three and Belt just down to four or whether, you know, maybe you just slide Vladdy and Chapman up a little bit. You're definitely starting to get these guys going. Chapman really is starting to look like himself again. I mean, he, he doubled to right field today and then hit that home run. And I think when you go the opposite way as Matt Chapman, you're one of the most dangerous hitters in all of baseball. So it, it's it's something to look at and especially – you know, I don't think runners in scoring position, while it always could get better and they were 2 for 8 today, I'm not, I'm not sure it was, like, the huge, huge focus, but he is, even on his best day, even when he was getting on base as well as anyone, Brandon Belt has a ton of swing and miss in his game. There's there's no doubt about that. It's been there the whole year. And, it, you know, when, when you strike out four times in a game, it really tends to pop up and... and Hey, I could understand some of the frustration right now. Yeah,
0: the golden sombrero, unfortunately, for old is it Brandon
1: a belt. is it a sombrero if you also walk? Like, I guess it is, I think right? So. I it's not just yes. the O for four. Yeah. I, I actually don't know, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh,
0: I, you know, I I do support moving belt down. I the, it's just the problem is Varsho plays most days as well, and like, I just it does kind of feel like they they do want to have a lefty bat at some point in let's say like the top five or six and if Varsho is not hitting particularly well and Brandon Belt's not hitting particularly well I mean one of those guys you would think has to be in the top six on any given day even if even if it is six I mean like Varsho today bat six and Belt bat third but if you're moving them down I mean I, I, again if, if Springer, Bo, Vladdy, Chapman are your top five and they're hitting the way you you top four pardon me and you're hitting the way you think they'll hit then that's not terrible but uh I think Belt's your five at
1: a minimum yeah because you could go you could go 579 which i don't think is necessarily ideal but you could go 579 with the left-handed hitters being uh belts and then varsho and then, varsho, and then yeah. Kiermaier yeah. or if or if Kiermaier's taking a rest day and Varsho's in the center then Bisio or something Biggio, like yeah. that and still split them up but belts not going i mean why have a dh on a one year deal if you're not hitting him like if you feel if you don't feel confident enough to hit him in the top i guess 6 maybe then you have to start thinking about what the roster spot is doing for you. And I don't think we're even close to that point. I mean, he he had a tough day today. He still has a 768 OPS. It's been been a pretty solid season, and I know some of his totals numbers are not phenomenal. He also missed a good handful of games and wasn't hitting this high up in the lineup for a lot of that time. So I think that impacts some of it. I, I also think RBIs are an incredibly situational, overvalued stat, but it is what it is.
0: I see a text here, uh, another one from Mark and Thorold. He says, uh, he he wants me to read the rest of the comment because he does say, um, I don't have any problem with the pitching at all, and we we should get to Yusei Kikuchi, uh, but it's all about the offense. I can't wait for Tiedemann, Barger, Martinez to add youth and energy to the lineup. I'd rather give the B- ABs to Addison Barger than to Brandon Belt at the moment. Look, I, I, I Addison I get, Barger's I get, numbers in the
1: minors yeah. are worse than Brandon Belt's in
0: the majors. <laughs> so I, I get that uh, the, like the, <laughs> the kind of carrot for prospects is always, like, the most tantalizing thing, and I freely admit I get caught up in that sometimes, but Addison Barger, I I would be, like, floored. I would be stunned if he plays for the Blue Jays at all this season. Unless the Blue Jays got eliminated with, like, I don't know, the mu- entire month of September to play, I I would be shocked if Addison Barger was called up to the majors like really at any point like I, I think they're like I, I would almost be less surprised if like someone like a Davis Schneider was called up before Addison Barger
1: yeah I, I think Davis Schneider's got a way better shot yeah. at this point Barger has been injured this year so I, I definitely you know I'm not sitting here trying to discredit him I think he's a very promising player but he's hitting 227 with a 660 OPS and 35 strikeouts in 26 games in AAA like I don't think that that's Really something realistic that we're talking about, where Addison Barger takes over Brandon Belt's role in the lineup. Right. And and to be honest, I, I, I really think to blame the offense in a 7-6 loss is is not necessarily uh, where I would land. I, I think that the offense could have been better early, but I, I don't think that you win most games that you give up seven runs in, to be fair.
0: Before we continue on the phones and on the text line as well, let's hear a little bit from John Schneider who just wrapped up his media availability, uh, chatting to the Blue Jays beat. Here's Blue Jays manager, John Schneider discussing the mood in the clubhouse after yet another loss to the Boston Red Sox. They are now 0 for 6 against the Boston Red Sox this season. Here's John Schneider.
3: Yeah. I think everyone's in there crying right now. They're, uh, (laughs) <laughs> They're not coming in tomorrow. I mean, it, yeah, it sucks. It sucks losing. It's obviously six in a row against them. You know, we know that. They know that. You know, just like we won however many we did out of 18 last year against them. So um, at baseball, you know, I was proud of the way that we fought back. Um, again, it's uh, you could put, you know, every series into a vacuum. And, yes, division opponents are a tick more important this time of year um, but proud with the way those guys battled back against a really good pitcher at the end. And, um, you know, yeah, you, you don't like giving yourself a chance to win a series. Uh, but, again, you want to get out of here with a win tomorrow with Kev on the mound before an off day. So the guys are good, man. If they were rolling over and, and quitting, which obviously they're not doing, it's a different story. Um, today was just a tough loss.
0: That is John Schneider speaking to the media after a 7-6 loss. They are now 0-6 against the Boston Red Sox. And are 7 and 19 against the entirety of the American League East. Just real quick, before we talk about Yusei Kikuchi, Ben, uh, Mastaka Yoshida, after his fifth inning RBI single, and Yoshida was eventually removed from this ballgame after just getting a ball planted on kind of like his shin almost, like right on the bone it looked like, and he was really laboring. He did stand to run the bases, but then was lifted for uh, Tristan Casas. But uh, he, after that fifth inning single, He was 14 for 24 with three home runs and 10 RBI in six games versus the Blue Jays this season. Like In one year, not even one year, because we're really only in July of the first year of Yoshida being on the Red Sox. But in a very short period of time, he has somehow already gotten, in my opinion, to the point of like the we joke about Ryan Mountcastle and Manuel Margot and like some, somehow improbably Kyle Higashioka. When you look at other guys in, across the AL East, Masataka Yoshida just continues to do damage against basically all blue, all things Blue Jays. Yeah, he
1: is. I, I just have to say, he's a phenomenal baseball he player. Is. It Ooh. is really you know it is really fun to watch that guy hit. He puts a clinic on out there. He can hit. So many different types of pitches in so many different areas of the plate, and the Blue Jays, I think, you know, with more time, it sometimes it, it gets a little bit easier to figure these guys out, but I'm not sure it's ever going to be too easy to figure out Yoshida, who, you know, is killing the Blue Jays, but is also killing almost everyone in baseball, maybe just not quite to the degree that he uh, likes to hit against the Birds right now.
0: Should he uh, Should he win Rookie of the Year?
1: I've always – I don't know. I mean, it's like – Because he is a rookie technically. I know. So he definitely is in the running. Don't get me wrong. Like, do
0: you think okay, – if his name is on the ballot G- with, like with Josh, Josh Young, Young Gunnar you know, Henderson. Like, they're obviously having – they're it, they're probably the top three guys right now in, in the American yeah. League. But if like if Masutaki Yoshida's name is on the ballot – and he has said, to his credit, he has said he does not want to win, win Rookie of the Year. Like, he's almost he, 30. Yeah, he, and he has said he does not feel like a rookie. I only bring it up because I saw that graphic flashed on the sports telecast today i just it would be kind of funny to see both josh young and Gunnar henderson who are having phenomenal years lose out to like a
1: 30 year old essentially
0: but i am yeah. that's not to say he doesn't deserve it he's been playing no, very very well
1: phenomenal player i would say right now his offensive numbers in in a similar range to young young plays a more important defensive position and plays it really well so i think yoshida has to like he has to really convincingly be the the best guy like well beyond young or i just feel like the voters are gonna say hey he's and and maybe that's unfair but hey he's 30 young's 25 he's played many years of professional baseball at the highest level young just came up from the minors i mean small stint last year but i I do think that young probably has the inside track
0: a bit of an edge you're probably right you're probably right but being being voted in as the starting Third baseman in the All-Star game probably doesn't helps doesn't doesn't hurt yeah. at all. I'll, I'll say that much. That's Ben Shulman. I'm Show Adley. Let's go back to the phones. 416-870-0591-886-0590. star five ninety on your cell. Rob, thank you for waiting. Rob is joining us here on Jay's Talk from Hamilton. Rob, what's on your mind? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Uh, what, what's up? What's up today? What's uh, what did you think of the uh, bow decision at third base and and at the plate? Yeah,
2: I want to actually go. Yeah, I want to go back um, a step from the, the play at third. I'm sure that's been talked about already and I'll find on your show uh, different viewpoints. But I noticed uh, watching the replay of ball shot to right field that he didn't come out of the box hard. It to me like he was kind of admiring the, the ball. And my opinion is that if he would have been coming out hard and Springer would have been at or close to second, um, he still had time to, I think, reverse tag off and get back to first. I think Springer should have scored on that ball off the wall. And Bo, if he's running hard right out of the box, he makes it to third. And then Vladdy's hit. If it still happens, ties up the game. I'll hang up and uh, let me know what you guys think.
1: Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not a great look, I, I think. Uh, it's, it's just hard to tell because Springer, you know, whatever we could put on Bo without Springer advancing – past third yeah there's nothing else Bo can do and and maybe you know like he could have run out of the box hard but I think what Springer's doing on that play is because that ball was hit relatively high he's going most of the way and stopping just in case that ball gets caught he doesn't want to get doubled off to end the game so it's a tricky one uh you know and potentially Bichette thought he had a homer there who knows but it's hard for me to say too much just because he the 90 feet ahead wasn't even available because Springer didn't get past third
0: What'd you make of George Springer, on the replay? I, I, don't, I don't think Springer looked back to third before he also started waving. Waving, but Bo- I don't he, think he Bo just... looks at Springer okay, right, if he's right. going home. Okay, all right. I, I got to be honest because he because he did it again. I don't think either of them were looking at each other because he was doing it immediately. Yeah. essentially. But I, I also kind of think a lot of ballplayers just do it instinctively. For sure.
1: Yeah, and I, I think if if Bo comes out and said I was looking at Springer and not my base coach, and that's why it happened, then I shift a a lot more of my blame than I initially had had onto the base runner because, yeah, I I just think that's like a baseball thing. There was a guy on second behind him, and he wanted them to win, so he's waving him. But I would hope that and, and expect that the Blue Jays were not necessarily taking that advice from each other. The only time that you should look at that guy is in the situation then where Springer's telling him where to slide and if to slide coming to the plate because then you're kind of like a base coach after that but like you said Springer's not even looking he, he's he's jo- jogging home at that point
0: uh before we hit a quick break I wanted to get to say Kikuchi with you just because we haven't talked too much about about old Kikuchi uh four and a third innings pitch seven hits five runs all of them were earned uh, there was a home run in there which was a Raphael Devers home run seven strikeouts two walks and he does end up taking the loss unfortunately I think, like, in Madison and Ben mentioned this on the broadcast, but the fastball command has been how Kikuchi essentially lives or dies. Right, So he has been largely able to uh, live for much of 2023 with dotting the edges of the strike zones with heaters or just blowing guys away right down the middle and guys just can't catch up to the fastball because, as we've discussed many times, there there are few players, few starting pitchers who are left-handed who can throw the ball as, as hard as Yusei Kikuchi can. Uh, and also on top of that, when he's able to... Use the fastball effectively. He's also been able to use the breaking balls more effectively, just as most pitchers can. Uh, today didn't really seem to have great command of that lethal fastball of his, and as a result, it kind of felt as though he—he he seemed to know it too, because he kind of seemed as though he was being a little more passive with some of the breaking stuff, the off-speed stuff. I mean, like he was—he was still pretty emphatic, for example, after he, he escaped the, the early bases-loaded jam, and that—that that aspect of his demeanor did not change. But he was a little more careful, and we saw that with the Devers bomb in the third inning, kind of nibbling instead of being very going after guys and attacking hitters. It's, it was unfortunate because we've gotten, and I certainly have, gotten used to seeing Yusei Kikuchi just dominate guys with that fastball, and today he wasn't, he wasn't able to do it as consistently.
1: Yeah, I, I think, like you mentioned, it all came down to command. He still had that mid-to-high 90s velocity, but he starts today with a four-pitch walk, three fastballs yeah. in that plate appearance, and, I mean, frankly, Rob Snyder Has very little power. He's a great on-base guy. But 3-0, you're trying to throw that guy a strike. Like, maybe not right down the middle, but you're willing to put one over a good chunk of the plate and see if Rob Refsnyder can do something with it when he's almost surely taking. And he couldn't. And then you mentioned that second inning. I mean, I I started to get really concerned when he walks the nine-hitter. He goes up 0-2 on Hamilton and misses badly twice. A couple borderline pitches after that. But in that inning, too, not just bad command in terms of missing the plate Yoshida's single middle middle slider Hernandez's single middle middle curveball it just it it was not the command that they wanted and then when I talk about some of those you know split little decisions that I think could have cost a run or not I would really love to know the thinking of some of the moves in the top of the fifth so they start with Trevor Richards already getting loose. I mean, Kikuchi used a ton of pitches just to get through the first four innings. He was up above 70, I believe. So they get Richards up. Lead-off single by Ref Snyder at that point. Verdugo hits a screaming out to left center field that Kevin Kiermaier catches in the gap. Then Justin Turner doubles. And at that point... I'm not sure why Raphael Devers gets to see Kikuchi again. I mean, they, he they just...
0: clearly like the lefty and lefty thing, but yeah. it's also— But it's Trevor it's, Richards yeah, in the pen who yeah. does well
1: against lefties. Yeah,
0: and, and it's Raphael Devers. <laughs> who
1: blasted a home run 400 yeah, feet, a right. line drive, 100-mile-per-hour, 400-foot home run. So, I mean, look, who knows? He easily—I I can't tell the future. He easily could have come up with a base hit to score Turner anyway and then still come around to score himself. But that that's a potentially one or two run swing. Yeah. If Richards comes in and retires Devers, th- this might have been a three two ball game instead of a five two ball game coming out of the fifth. And Kikuchi has pitched well recently, kind of like we were talking with the Biggio thing, and maybe that earned him a little bit of extra leash. But it just felt like a spot where you don't want to roll the dice too much. Devers is a really good hitter, ton of power. And he really burned you with that single and then ended up scoring on a bloop.
0: It, it kind of reminds me, unfortunately, uh, like the, in, in an inverse way of when Kikuchi was allowed to stay out to take on Luisa Ryze. In Miami, and and I th- and I think kind of like in the, almost the exact same way. And Luis Arise is just perhaps doesn't have the home run power that Rafael Devers does, but certainly has the uh, on base percentage. <laughs> I think we all know about Luis Arise at this point. And the the, the whole lefty on lefty thing was there too. So they clearly rolled the dice there. I, I honestly wonder if those kinds of decisions it works out. So you kind of like again kind of like a gambler's fallacy a little bit. Like you you, you you decide okay, well maybe we can roll the dice one more time. Yeah. it worked out with Arise in in Miami, and perhaps. Well, obviously, did not work out very well with uh, with Devers.
1: Yeah, the only the only main distinction I make there is in Miami, his command was spot on was going great. into that. Whereas great. today he grinded. I mean, at that point he had already given up three runs. We were in the fifth inning. There was only one out. So I, I don't know that today he gave the Blue Jays as much of a reason to think let's keep riding him and see if Kikuchi can get through it, and and he didn't. And it ended up being one of his worst starts of the season.
0: That is Ben Shulman. I'm Shawali. You're listening to Jay's Talk here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Let's take a quick break, Ben. And when we come back, more from John Schneider, and then we'll go back to the phones and the text line as well. 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cellular device, Five ninety five ninety Name and location is the people's text line. And as I always say, it is always open. More Jay's Talk for you after the break. Show and Ben on the Sportsnet Radio
3: Network. First of all, it's a really hard play for, for Louie. Um, you know, don't envy his job as much as some people say they don't envy mine. Um, you know, it's, Vladdy hits it hard. Verdugo has the best arm. Everyone knows that. Um, you know, could Bo have picked him up a little bit earlier? Yeah, sure. You want to be aggressive. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, make the last out at the plate. So, um, happens quick. And I think, um, you know, in a perfect world, you, you, want the, you want the last out to be made with, you know, the guy in the box, not, you know, scoring for the guy with a good arm. Um, Happened quick, and um, you know I don't think Bo picked him up quite in time. Um, Either way, it's a it's a good throw by by Alex.
0: That is John Schneider speaking to the media after a seven six loss uh, for the Blue Jays at the hands of the Red Sox. They do lose the series, but do have an opportunity to salvage things tomorrow. Kevin Gosman on the mound for the Blue Jays. It it does kind of sound like to me, Ben if you're kind of parsing manager speak to a certain degree, that John Schneider did want to give as much credit as possible to Alex Verdugo, who has just a rocket for an arm, but at the same time, wasn't necessarily thrilled that Bo did make that decision. And I think, I mean, he said it there. He acknowledges that it's a split-second decision-making process and these things are bang-bang, it happens like that sometimes, but that he, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I am attributing words here, but it does kind of, that's the sense I get from that is that John Schneider was was not thrilled to have the final out be, you know, thrown out, both getting thrown out by several feet here.
1: Yeah, and Matt Chapman is the guy that was supposed to come to the plate. He was, you know, two for three and had reached base three out of four times, if I'm not mistaken. He had had a really strong day. The what if of what happens with Chapman at the plate and the winning run on base is one that the Blue Jays are just going to have to go to bed with tonight and hope that they can correct tomorrow. But like you said, I mean... It it never feels good to lose that way. There were a lot of things that contributed to the Blue Jays losing today, and it looked like they were going to overcome all of that when Vladdy laced that ball through the right side. But, you know, uh, one big play couldn't make up for the uh, multitude of small mistakes they made throughout the game.
0: That's Ben Shulman. I'm Ali. Welcome back to Jays Talk here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Before we go back to the text line, let's get to the Major League Standings Watch presented by Bet365. With Bet365, you can watch thousands of live games, build your own bet, and you can even make a bet while the game is still being played. 19 plus, play responsibly, Ontario only. Uh, Unfortunately, Ben, the Blue Jays did get all the help they would have gotten otherwise on the out-of-town scoreboard. A lot of favorable results for the blue jays the uh, rangers beat the astros five to two the orioles lose to the twins one nothing they get blinked one nothing and uh that yankees game has resumed i believe it is yeah. the top of the ninth inning but it's the first game of the double header and they went when that game went into a very lengthy rain delay they were down to the cardinals 11 to one you
1: can pretty much add the loss onto their record at this point
0: yeah i think you can and then and then again it's 7.30 Eastern right now, They're Yankees' second game with a doubleheader was supposed to start at 7.15. So something tells me that's also going to be a late night, and I can't imagine being in a you know several-hour rain delay lets you put your best foot forward on the road, no less, because this series is in St. Louis. But with all that uh, having been said, the Rays are playing the Mariners right now. That game just got started on the West Coast, so zero's there. Uh, all that having been said, let's get to the standings watch. Tampa Bay is 57 and 28, entering their game today. Baltimore following the loss, 48 and 33. The Yankees 45 and 36. The Blue Jays are 45 and 39. Very likely the Yankees will be 45 and 37 in perhaps minutes. Uh, and the Boston Red Sox, with their second straight win over the Blue Jays and six straight overall, they are back to 500. They are 42 and 42. And if we look at the wild card standings as well, Baltimore, Yankees. Uh, Houston they are all one two three in the wild card race the Jays still a half game back of the Astros because both teams lost and the Angels are a game back because of the Blue Jays lost but they are taking on the Diamondbacks as the nightcap that game starts in about two and a half hours Ben
1: yeah it's one of those things where you know you kind of look at it both ways good and bad the Blue Jays really had an opportunity to make some big movement today had they picked up this win, but at a minimum, they do get bailed out by a lot of the teams around them, and, you know, with with 78 games, I think it is remaining, are still half a game out of a playoff spot. If the Yankees lose both games today, then they actually will move into the playoffs <laughs> tied with the Yankees for that third wildcard spot, despite the fact uh, that they didn't win today. I, I Oh, no, my math's a little off. They'd still be half a game back, but they'd be a half game back of both the Yankees and the and Astros, the Astros yeah. and they're still... I mean, as as well as the Baltimore Orioles have played, which is much better than the Blue Jays so far, four and a half games behind the top wildcard spot, which is almost hard to believe. But a lot of time they just have to, you know, we've been saying that for a while and they haven't started moving it in the right direction. You know, we're, we're further into the season now than halfway. They really need to start moving it uh, into some longer sustained streaks of winning.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that if you take even just – I don't know, like four games out of the 19-loss column, and you put them in the seven-game win column for the record against the AL East. You take just three or four games and you move it around, the Blue Jays might be... In the number one wildcard spot right now. That's how that's how slim the margins are. It's crazy. I mean, obviously, it depends on who you're taking those wins and losses from. If some of them are against the Orioles, it's a little different. But it's just it's crazy to think that the margins are just so razor thin. The infuriating thing for me, and I think for you and a lot of the listeners as well, is whenever they lose, they get so much help on the out of town scoreboard, <laughs> and then when they win, the other teams in the wild card race are also winning. Like the Blue Jays just won two of three against the Giants, and in that span somewhere, the Yankees had a perfect game. Yeah. Like that's just that's crazy to me yeah that's just is. how it works i know but it just it's infuriating
1: it is crazy like as the blue jays really you know slumped especially on that road trip where they went to play baltimore texas and then miami who they ended up beating in that series for what it's worth the houston astros went on one of their worst skids of the yeah. season as well i mean <laughs> there are a lot of people in astrotown that are unhappy the mariners are 38 and 42 but <laughs> you know the blue jays just can't seem to win consistently enough like whoever really starts winning these margins have been pretty similar for all these teams for the last couple weeks if someone can rip off a big streak here coming up and it is worth noting you know clearly the blue jays haven't turned it around against the al east yet but they have two week series coming up right before they head into the all-star break you know if they can just get a mini run going there they could put themselves in some really good position coming up
0: yeah look i've been banging the drum for and i think a lot of people have so i'm certainly not unique in this on this take but uh you know, beat the teams you are "quote unquote" supposed to beat. They just did that against the Oakland Athletics last weekend, and now you got after tomorrow's game. It's a day off on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They take on the White Sox on the south side of Chicago, and then they go to Comerica Park to take on the Tigers for the last series against the All-Star break. I mean, like you know, they sh- they should be beating those teams. They White Sox
1: be. just got walked off to lose a series to the Athletics. The Athletics. Like if you don't if if you don't win four out of those six games, it's I mean it's Malpractice, frankly, and if and and you should really try and win five. Like you got to sweep some teams. It's hard to ask a team to sweep another team because the the margin is still not that big in terms of talent differences in Major League Baseball, even from best to worst. But you go on just a mini run, and you can shoot up these standings.
0: Yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't take a lot, but the Blue Jays do have to. uh, They have to show, I think, each other, but also everyone else that they are they're capable of going on sustained uh, runs, even if it's smaller ones or longer ones. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. Let's hear a little bit more from John Schneider, Ben. Uh, he had some more comments on the game's final play, and a lot of people discussing Bo, you know, whether he's being selfish or whether he he's not having max effort or misreading the ball. A lot of discussion on the play of Bo Bichette after this one ended, and John Schneider did address that to a certain degree. So let's hear more from the skipper. Here's John Schneider after the ball game.
3: When you're coaching third, your initial reaction is to you know, get the guy going. And then you make a decision um, to either stop or go. And um, you know, that play happened really quickly. It's a, it's a fine line, because you want to be aggressive against a really good pitcher, because hits are hard to come by. Um, at the same time, with how hard Vladdy hit that ball, you know, I think that it, it makes it a really tough decision um, to send the guy there. So I think you know, looking at the video, I looked at it briefly. Um, I think Louie's hand was up, you know, and, and Bo's hauling ass. Bo's trying to score. So it's, it's a bang-bang uh, play. You know, it's, it's really nobody's fault. You're not going to say, you know, it's on Bo or it's on Louis. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a play that happens really quick, um, and it's just, it just didn't go our way.
1: With the challenge, did you think their catcher was maybe
3: blocking the plate? Had no idea because I was watching the play, but we figured why not. Um, you know, the rule is so gray Um, You know, wanted to make sure that Wong started in fair territory, at least, you know, our interpretation of the rule is catcher has to establish in fair territory and then, you know, hold that as long as he can. And then looks like exactly what he did. Um, So credit to him making a good play Wong at the plate and a good throw from Verdugo. But um, at that point, you know, I'm not checking any video. I'm just making sure that, you know, we're just uh, checking it because the game would have, you know, game was over, obviously.
1: Just looking at some freeze frames now, I mean, John Schneider's saying they, they essentially, it was a use it or lose it challenge. Right. And Yeah, Wong is, I mean, he's on the other side of the plate, if anything. Like, the entire plate, and once you get the ball, although it's a cloudy rule, allegedly, once you get the ball, you can kind of go block the plate, essentially. It's right, just right. about in your receiving, like he was mentioning, and I mean, Wong is more in between the plate and Springer and the umpire than even on the <laughs> other side. Like, the whole plate is open, Until he gets the ball, and then he does what you're supposed to do, which is block as much of the plate as possible. And he does that, but Bo would have been host anyway.
0: I did did, did think it was funny that Schneider... Uh, very diplomatically said, the rule is great. Yeah, it's a, yeah, that's another way of saying no one knows what the rule is. Nobody knows what it is. It's applied differently every single time. I mean, there was that period, was it the Rangers and Bruce Bochy got tossed a couple of weeks, like, was yeah. it last week, the week before, and, and, and Jonah Heim was doing his best to also get tossed, it would seem. It was just <laughs> it was just pure chaos, and I think just that was one of those things that illustrates the fact that, uh, you know what, no one knows what it is. No one knows what the rule actually is.
1: And I think the controversy... Oh, I forget who was going into the plate, but the Blue Jays benefited from it last it was year. Whit Merrifield. Yeah, it was Whit yeah. Merrifield. So Schneider was manager. It was at a that Minnesota. Point it was in Minnesota. I think. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and I think Rocco Baldelli got tossed out of that game for for that play. So yeah, I, I think he is right that you may as well, even probably if there isn't two outs, and then especially if it's going to end the game. What are you going to do? Say, oh, you know what? I don't think so. So I <laughs> yeah. guess I guess we won't exhaust every option and we'll just walk off. But. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a tough play. I think there are a couple different uh, people that you, you know, it's a team. Multiple people come together to make these plays happen. It does seem like, you know, and again, I don't want to talk too much for him like you were saying before, but it seems like he ascribes a little bit more there to Bo not picking it up uh, than maybe some of the stuff that I was saying where it's Rivera with a slightly late signal.
0: Uh, before we get out of here, Ben, we have a couple texts to get to. Some trade uh, suggestions, perhaps. All and, right. Uh, I, I I love the fake trade. You wanna, ever want to send us a fake trade, even if I, I may or may not shoot it down, which I'm going to tell you I'm going to here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy the fake trades because you get to kind of think a they're little fun. bit differently. They're yeah. they're just fun. It's kind of like playing fantasy sports to a certain extent, yeah. right? But this one's from uh, Massey who texted in before. I feel like the Jays need to trade for a much more consistent lefty bat. The deadline, maybe a guy like Jock Peterson. Or a Josh Naylor again. I I would love I would love very few things. I was going to say nothing more, but very few things more than seeing Josh Naylor, a Canadian, play for the Toronto Blue Jays. That would be so cool. Having said that, I I have a feeling Cleveland is not going to give up Josh Naylor, barring some kind of really massive return. I'm not even sure the Blue Jays have the prospect capital. To get Josh Naylor, and then this one's from Ashley in Ottawa. Uh, Padres might be sellers at the deadline, which is honestly not an unrealistic thought because they have not played very well. I think the Blue Jays have not played well; they've played even worse. I would make the They're argument. Thirty-eight, forty-five. Yeah, they've not they
1: won today, <laughs> and they
0: and they won. Yes, that they-, they have not been very good. Uh, Ashley says there's a groundswell in that market to blow it up there. Uh, if the Jays' win-loss record is the same or better at the deadline, how about a package? For Juan Soto and Blake oh, Snell, not and, and and, and, and like what did I love to see Juan Soto and Blake Snell play for the Blue Jays? But you'd think like if for you talk
1: Bo Bichette, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to
0: give up some massive assets because like you think Bo and Vlad are getting paid massive contracts and Minoda, Manoa and so on, but uh, boy, Juan Soto is gonna get like a four hundred million dollar deal in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah, the Nationals had to give him up because he essentially asked out of there, and they still commanded. Like three or four top 100 yeah. prospects in base. Like the Blue Jays don't have the capital. I, I. It's... Like you could
0: trade literally every prospect that they have, including Ricky yeah. Tiedemann and Brandon Barriera and and all the you know Elvis Martinez and Addison Barger. You can I trade all don't... of them, and it probably wouldn't be enough for Soto by himself, much less also Blake Snell. I would. Think.
1: Yeah, and and I will say too, um, you know, on the on the Naylor mm. or the Peterson guys. I mean. San Francisco's in the playoffs. They're not trading Jock Peterson. He's one of their best hitters. Like they're in a playoff spot right now and if trying we, to contend. If, if, and, if we had
0: this conversation like like two months ago, I might have said Baby. And but, uh,
1: Cleveland plays in the worst division in baseball. They're a game and a half back with three games in hand. If they like, they're thirty nine and forty two. Minnesota's forty two and forty two. And Josh Nadler's one of their best players. So yeah, it's I. We'll talk about it a little bit on Jays Talk Plus coming up at the All Star break. I'm going to give some incredibly non-sexy trade options because they're looking for very small additions, I think.
0: You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna bang the drum for you can't bang the drum for our oldest Chapman anymore. He I can't,
1: I can't. But there's gonna be some Jace Peterson or stuff <laughs> of of similar caliber.
0: That is Ben Shulman. I'm Show Ali. Thank you for listening to Blue Jays baseball brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Now that summer has arrived, it's road trip season. Make sure your vehicle is protected from rust with Crown. Visit Crown.com for a special summer offer today. Crown Canada's number one rust protection. For Ben Shulman, Ben Wagner, Madison Shipman, Tom Young, Andrew Adams, Nick Blackmore. I'm Show Ali. Thanks for being with us on Jays Talk this Canada Day. Uh, Despite the loss, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Ben and I are back tomorrow to wrap up the series here at Rogers Center with Kevin Gosman on the mound. Let's cross our fingers for a win. We'll talk to you then.